Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 12. And um, we're, we're finishing off this series called I Doubt It. And this I Doubt It series kind of revolves around this idea that a lot of times, especially when you're like a teenager, when you're a middle schooler or a high schooler, and then sometimes even, even adults do this, you question whether or not you're really saved. Like you doubt your salvation. And when you doubt your salvation, sometimes you ask questions. And the first question we talked about is, did I really mean it? You know, people like me who were saved when they were like five years old, did I really mean what I said or what I did when I put my faith in Jesus? And we talked about how it doesn't matter how much you know, all that matters is that you know that Jesus died for you and that you believe in him. Last week, we talked about, can I lose it? Is it possible to do something so bad, so wrong, that you can lose your salvation? And last week, as we, as we, as we looked in the Bible, looked in John chapter 10, we realized you can't, once you're saved, you are always saved, you can't lose your salvation. Tonight, we're gonna do the final question, And the final question tonight is, why do I struggle with sin? And this may come as a shock to you, but when I was a teenager, I struggled with sin. Comes as no shock to April, because I still do, and she knows it. But when I was, I believe I was in eighth grade, where are my eighth graders at? Who here's in eighth grade? We got some eighth graders, right? Why it's an eighth grader. Um, So uh, I was in eighth grade and we were driving to church. My mom and I were. She was driving me to church. And um, as we were driving to church, this lady who lived close to the church pulled out in front of us. Like my mom almost like T-boned her. So my mom kind of, you know, did the Christian like kind of beep beep thing. Not like laying on the horn, beep beep. And out of the window, anybody want to guess what emerged? Some people call it the West Virginia welcome sign. Um, but my, this lady made a hand gesture at my mom. You know, this lady, I guess, lived within walking distance of the church. And my mom, was, you know, and I was like, mom, are you going to let her do that? And she's like, well, she's like, she probably had a bad day. We're just going to forget about it. And I was a little ticked off. I mean, you don't, you, don't, you don't give my mom the West Virginia welcome sign to get away with it. So what I did was while the church service was going on, I kind of snuck out of church it was around Christmas time, and I walked, I took my friend Marcus with me. We walked over to this lady's house, and we started pulling the bulbs out of her Christmas lights so that all of her Christmas lights would go out, would go out. So, but she caught us, and, you know, she had quite a mouth on her, and I went back like this to try to, to try to get, like, get away, and I accidentally put my hand through her window, she didn't, I didn't think she knew who I was, so we took off, and we kind of like snuck back into the church service. Well, I didn't realize that lady saw us sneak back into the church service. So when, by the time the church service was over, I kind of left, and I was hoping that I would, you know, get away from it. What I found out later was this lady went in and wanted to talk to somebody about how terrible church people were, and she ran into Pastor Lemming. And my dad was there to hear what she was describing, and was here, he could hear her describing somebody that sounded a lot like his son, and I got in big trouble. I had to give all my money to fix her stupid window and buy her Christmas lights, and then I had to go to Pastor Lemming's house and apologize to him because he got, you know, the, the bad end of that lady. And um, I felt really bad afterwards because I had an anger problem. Let, like my anger get the best of me. And I thought, yeah, 
is there something wrong with me? <laughs> like I look around and other people are like normal. Other people get the, you know, somebody makes a bad gesture at them and yeah, you know, they just go on with life, but I can't deal with it and I just have to respond. If since I'm struggling with sin in this area, maybe am I really saved? Because I look at other Christians, they don't seem to be struggling with sin like I'm struggling with sin. Am I really saved? And sometimes you think, am I really saved? You think, is God upset with me? Does he think of me as like a second-class citizen? Is God done with me? And some of, those are some of the questions that we ask when we struggle with sin. But tonight I want you to know that if you struggle with sin, you're not alone. That just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you don't struggle with sin. And this is a little bit of a different lesson. Usually this is when we go into the, the, the passage of the Bible that we're going to study, but I'm going to ask you, you don't have to flip through if you don't want, the notes are on the app, but I want you to think about some of these verses that prove that Christians will struggle with sin. Some Christians are babies that need to grow up. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and he wrote them this. He says, I can't address you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And these Corinthians were sinning like crazy. It's because they were saved, but they never grew up in Christ. And some of us are like babies in Christ. We're saved, but we need to grow up. Look to the person next to you and say, you need to grow up. Say it kindly. You, you, you need to grow up. And then say to that person, say, I know you do. Right? Yeah, you need to grow up. Some Christians, we learn about in Ephesians chapter 4, some Christians need to put, they, they've never put on their new jersey. They didn't change jerseys after being saved. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about clothing yourself like a Christian. And it's not talking about the clothes that you wear. It's talking about putting on that new identity in Christ. He says, put off your old self and put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're always going to act like Christ right away. It means that you're saved. It means that God has a plan for your life. But it means you will still struggle with sin. Some Christians are stuck in a religious rut. The same church, this Ephesian church, John writes to him in Revelation, and he writes this about him. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but um, Jesus, through John, he says this, I know your works, I know you're enduring, enduring patiently, that you don't put up with any false doctrine, but I have this against you, you've abandoned the love you had at first. You know, it's possible, so what happens to some Christians, we get so church-like, we forget that we're called to be Christ-like. Right? We go to church, we put a little money in the offering plate, we sing a few songs, we sit down, you know, we, we listen to a sermon and we leave and we forget that God is calling us to be Christ-like and we kind of get stuck in a religious rut. And that happened to these Christians. So we see Christians stuck in a religious rut. There are some Christians who forget they need Jesus. Revelation chapter 3 that writes to this church at Laodicea. These are Christian people, but look what he says. He says, you say I am rich and I've prospered and I need nothing, but you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to find, buy me gold refined with fire that you may be rich. And then he says this, who I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. It's possible sometimes to be a Christian and to feel so good about yourself, to think you're such a great person. Your parents tell you you're a good person. Your friends pretend like you're, good, you're a good person. Everybody seems to like you, but you forget that on the inside there are things that aren't good. And it's possible to forget that you need Jesus. Some Christians can't beat sin even though they know it's wrong. The Apostle Paul said this, and if this doesn't 
If you don't identify with this verse, I don't know what's wrong with you. He said this in Romans chapter seven. Chapter seven. It's a kind of a tongue twister, so I'm gonna have to read it like word for word. He says, I don't do the good that I want, but the evil that I don't wanna do, I keep on doing. Wretched man who I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You, you know, what, you, you know what, I, what Paul's talking about, right? You know what you're supposed to do. You know what's right. And you find yourself not doing it. And then you know what you shouldn't be doing, but what do you end up doing? It's like, don't yell at, don't yell at my mom. I shouldn't 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 yell. What's wrong with you? You know, you, we find ourselves knowing something's wrong, knowing we shouldn't do it, but we have this pull this is the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians to ever live, struggle with sin. Some Christians have fallen and need to be picked back up. Galatians chapter six says this, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So some Christians fall. Some Christians stumble when it comes to sin. Some Christians royally screw up their life. And a lot of us have done that. If you've ever messed up before, look at the person next to you and say, I've royally screwed up my life before. And then tell them, I know you have, right? We can be open, we can be honest. And then the final one that we're gonna talk about tonight is that some Christians are beaten down and on the verge of giving up. We're gonna be talking about these Christians in the book of Hebrews. They were on the outskirts of Rome and persecution was so intense toward these Christians that the Roman emperor, Nero, was using, he hated Christians so much, he was using them as human torches to light his gardens. And these Christians were starting to feel intimidated. These Christians were starting to like, as you might imagine, be tempted to abandon their faith. And they were starting, they, they were falling into t turning against each other. Have you noticed, like, we don't have much persecution in the United States versus like in Afghanistan, but have you noticed where, where people are a little less like kind towards Christians in our day and age? Have you noticed that it's even causing some Christians to turn on each other? The big three problems in, with these Hebrew Christians were that they were thinking about denying their faith, they were bitter towards each other, and they were falling into immorality. Sexuality, you, you, going against God's plan when it came to sexuality. And it's against that that this 12th chapter of Hebrews was written. And I want you to remember this as we dive into Hebrews chapter 12. Why do you, I know you, we've established that we all struggle with sin, but here's what you need to know about God. God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And tonight we're gonna talk about what God does with Christians who struggle with sin. So if you have your Bible, open up to um, Hebrews chapter 12. You should be there already. And we're gonna read the first 17 verses of Hebrews. So let's read it together. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings, clings so closely and let us run with endurance. There's you cross-country runners. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider himself who endured from sinners such hostility that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle with sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. If you're, if you're a Bible highlighter, every time the word discipline shows up, you may wanna circle that word because it's an important word. Don't regard the, lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord, there it is again, disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son who he receives. Verse seven, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there who his father does not 
Discipline. If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children's children <laughs> and not sons. Beside this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems rather pay, painful than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who are trained by it. So we're gonna stop there. And did you notice the theme? Discipline. Say it. Say it louder. Discipline, right? What does discipline mean? What do we think of when we think of discipline? Uh, there are some things that have popped into my head or that pop into my head when I think of discipline. The first is getting, getting, getting disciplined by your parents. I'm not gonna have you raise your hand. When I was a child, I got, I got whoopings. I don't know if any of y'all got whoopings. And there was a distinct difference between a mom whooping and a dad whooping. You know, my dad was kind of one of those like one, you know, one or two you know, strong boom, boom, and you're done. But then when my mom, it wasn't, she didn't whoop with force, but it was like a, almost like a, a Mr. Miyagi, kind of like a kamikaze guy. You know, it's like a, so it's kind of, do I want two really good whoopings or do I want a bunch of like little like, you know, like, like, you know, karate kind of things. So either way, not pleasant. But we th you think about your parents, they discipline you. A lot of times you think of that in a negative way, right? You, you have whoopings, you get grounded. Anybody ever, be, ever, ever been grounded? I'll put both my hands and all my, my, my toes up because I was grounded more times than I can count. You, your parents, they discipline you. And they do that because they're good parents. You may not always agree with it, but that's a whole other thing we'll talk about. On the right is another thing I think of when I think of discipline. I was talking to some of the guys in the high school room about this, is that I was in the principal's office every once in a while, at great, well, more than every once in a while at Grace Christian School. Um, I can still tell you where everything is in Mr. Brocky's, Dr. Brocky's office. He has the Andy Griffith cup that says, How, yeah, hey there, neighbor. Uh, you know, he's got this picture of the family, and they stare at you when you're in trouble. It's like they're shooting darts through you. you know, like I remember the whole, the whole layout. And you, sometimes you get in trouble at school, right, and you're, you're disciplined at school, I'm not gonna have you raise your hand if you've ever been disciplined at school. But then there's another kind of discipline. That's maybe we call it a positive discipline and you do it. How many of y'all play some kind of sport? You're playing some kind of sport. You don't just show up to the game and play, right? You practice, you lift, you train. That's called discipline. You discipline your body, you discipline your mind so that you can be an elite athlete like me. That's a joke, by the way. But you dis, there, there, there's also a discipline that we think of positively. And that word discipline that you see in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 5, and then all the way down, it's, it, it's a word that has, it means both things. It's actually the word pedion, which has to do with child. It's the Greek word for child and train. And it has to do with sometimes parents have to do, you know, sometimes discipline involves some negative things, right? And sometimes it involves some positive things like going to the gym, getting caked up with gains. So it, it can mean both of these things and what we learn here is that what God does for believers, for Christians who struggle with sin, is that he disciplines them. This isn't necessarily one of the easiest lessons to bring. Um, so know that as I'm talking about it, know that I've been praying that I, I have a Christ-like like way of delivering it, that I come across loving. But what God does is he disciplines Christians who struggle with sin. 
And you may say, well, this isn't a positive and encouraging lesson, Matt. I'm going to get out of here and turn on some K-Love. Positive, encouraging K-Love. Yeah, I'm going to get out of refuel. I want, I want to reason with you. I want to give you three reasons why you should embrace God's discipline. So if you're taking notes, the three reasons why you should embrace God's discipline, and then I've got some H words for you. I really tried to make, that, make them F words. I just couldn't. So they're H words tonight. But the first reason we should embrace God's discipline is because there's a reason for God's discipline. I want you to look at verse six. It says, the Lord disciplines the one he, what? Try it again. The, word dis- the Lord disciplines the one he, he loves. He disciplines us because, like I said, he loves us too much to let us stay the way we are. And then it says, it doesn't just say the Lord disciplines the one he, he loves. It says in verse seven, it's for discipline you have to endure because God is treating you as sons. God is disciplining you, he's correcting you, and he corrects me because I'm his son, and you're his daughter, and you're his son, and you're his daughter. And what kind of, what, what kind of parent, some of you want this kind of parent, but what kind of parent would just let their kid or even let a teenager just run wild? Probably not a good parent, right? There was one time I was driving on, on a road and I saw literally, I'm not kidding, 15 toddlers running across the road and there's not an adult in sight. They had escaped from a daycare. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They were runaway toddlers. So question, the toddlers were probably having the time of their lives. Daycare worker, good daycare worker, bad daycare worker right? If God let us as spiritual toddlers do whatever in the world we want, good God or bad God, he wouldn't be a good God, would he? God loves us, so he corrects us. God has our good in mind. I want you to look at the first couple verses there in chapter 12. It says, let us also lay aside every weight the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He uses, a ter- he uses an, an Olympic terminology. So I need to know, to demonstrate, to illustrate, I need someone who can, who, who can jump pretty, pretty high. I need someone who can jump pretty high. Someone who can jump. Devin, come on up. So I want, yeah, give it up for Devin. I'm going to move this out of the way. Um, so Devin, I want to see I want to see how high you can jump. And you can get a running start here. But do you think you can jump over this music stand? Oh, I can. You think so? Can you jump over that music stand? Yeah, take those things off. I'm going to move this out of the way too. Hold on. All right, let's see it, Devin. Let's see it. Let's see them jumps. Oh, yeah. Okay, stay up here. Stay up here. Now, I want you to put on some apparel of mine and try to jump over it. Um, I've got some stuff. I've got some stuff. This is some outdoor clothing here. I want you to put on these boots. I want you to put on these overalls. And I I want you to put on these Carhartts, okay? You probably need to put on everything and then the boots, okay? And uh, as he's putting those on, as he's putting those on, I want to, have you ever put on overalls before? Okay. <laughs> As he's putting those on, yeah, there you go. As he's putting those on, I want to tell you something. In Hebrews here, it's talking about, it's talking about making sure that you're ready to run the race. And when Hebrews was written, there were Greco-Roman Olympics. Anybody ever heard of the Greco-Roman Olympics? There's one awkward fact about the Greco-Roman Olympics that you may know, you may not know. Anybody know the awkward fact about the Greco-Roman Olympics? 
Joey? He's afraid to say it. <laughs> they competed in the nude. <laughs> the reason being is because they thought it gave them an edge. They thought they could run faster if they didn't have to deal with those clothes that were weighing them down. So what this verse is talking about, this was a term that was used often. It says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. That was a term that was also used to describe when the Olympic runners and the Olympic competitors would disrobe to get ready to run. And that's what it's telling us to do, is that there are some things that are clinging to us that we need to get rid of because they're weighing us down. Devin, you're looking pretty weighed down there already. Uh, let me help you with that, man. I'll tell you what. I don't even think we're going to bother. Well, here, jump in these real quick. Jump in these real quick, man. I, want, I, I just think you're going to look so good in these. Put your legs down in there. I mean, I guess. I'm not I think you're going to look, you're, Farmer Devin right here. Farmer Devin. Oh, okay. Um, hold on. Whoa. Let me get rid of that. Um, so we'll get you all uh, set up here. Put this on. Isn't Devin looking good? Isn't he looking good? All right. Put those boots on and you'll be ready. So I want you to think about something. I want you to think about something. Is sin bad? Obviously it is. Does sin dishonor God? Obviously it does. One thing that we often forget is that not only is sin wrong, not only does sin not honor God, but sin is detrimental to the life that God has caused us to live. Some of us, because we're struggling with sin, are functioning just about as well as Devin trying to jump over this thing with all these clothes on. It just tuck those laces in. You don't need to tie them. You don't need to tie them. It just helps with the illustration there. Just tuck those laces in. So Devin now is going to try to do the same jump he just did, only weighed down. And he may get it. He's a, he's a pretty good athlete. He's a, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty high jumper. Um, he's a pretty athletic guy. This is not covered by our church's insurance. I assume no liability here. This is the closest I can get to the milk crate challenge. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, Devin, let's see it. Let's see it. Let's see it. Come on, Devin. Come on, Devin. Oh! Wow! That's impressive. All right, Devin, thank you so much. Was it a little more difficult with all that stuff on? Just a little bit, right? Do you see the point? Do you see the point? Why is, God, why is God disciplining us? Why is God correcting us? It's because we were not set to, we were not made to run the race like this. We were meant to run the race the way that God designed us to run it. So there's a reason that God disciplines us. It's, it's easy to think that God is this like grumpy old man in heaven with a quiver full of fire, like yeah, lightning bolts ready to zap us when we mess up. And he gets this like sick enjoyment out of correcting us and out of like punishing us when we mess up. No, God corrects us out of love because he wants us to run the race well for our good and for his glory. The next thing we should know about the discipline of God is that life doesn't make sense without it. I have this picture of Candyland. Anybody ever play Candyland when you were a kid? 
Anybody still play Candyland, right? It's one of the OG, uh, OG board games. And here's what always happens with me. I'm so close to winning and I get one of those, I get one of those, it's like the peppermint or something that sends me all the way back to the beginning. Have you ever felt like you're doing really well in life, like you're winning the candy land of life and then all of a sudden life gives you a peppermint card and you go all the way back to where you started and you mess up. There were a lot of things that have happened, I think, over the past year and a half that were kind of like the peppermint card. COVID, <laughs> peppermint card. Virtual learning, peppermint card. Christians can't get along with each other, peppermint card. Best friend moves away, peppermint card. Mom or dad or grandma or grandpa gets sick, maybe even passes away, peppermint card. Your girlfriends all turn on you. Peppermint card. Sometimes it's hard. But I was talking about you, like you girls who have friends that are girls. I know you guys don't have girlfriends. Um, but you understand what I'm talking about, guys, up here? You understand what I'm talking about? It's hard to make sense of the things that happen in life that bring us down. But I want you to think about this. How does God discipline us? Well, I think there are three ways God disciplines us. First, sometimes he lets us deal with the consequences of our sin. You can read later in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Prodigal son's like, dad, I'm tired of living here. I'm leaving. I want to go do what I want to do. And what did the dad say? Go ahead. How'd it turn out for the guy? He came back and he's like, this is terrible because it says he came to his senses. Sometimes, instead of getting in our way, God lets us date that guy. God lets us date that girl. God lets us sneak out of the house and get away with it for a little bit until we start reaping the consequences of our sin. And there are some people, maybe this is you tonight, it's been me before in my life, where the reason my life is upside down and inside out and so messed up is because I've made choices that don't honor God. I've done things that I know are wrong and I'm living in sin and I'm reaping the consequences of that. I'm a mean person and I'm reaping the consequences of all the drama that I've caused. Sometimes God lets us just experience those consequences. Sometimes God introduces punishment into our lives to correct us and save us from ruining our future. There are a couple words here that we don't have time to get into, but look, it says, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary by, by being reproved from him. The Lord disciplines who he loves and he chastises. That's a word that was often, you know, back in the, you know, back in during, when this time was written, it was used to describe Spanking or physically correcting a child. God chastises those who are his sons. There are some times when God sends us punishments to get our attention. There's sometimes there are things that are going on in your life and your, your life is, you, you could almost describe it really as hell on earth. And you think, why are these things the way they are? Maybe God's trying to get your attention. He's sending that chastisement. I should give the commercial, it says not every bad thing that happens is be, can be directly tied into a, a, a mistake that you've made, but God does chastise us. And the, the, the next one is, sometimes God allows the muscles of our faith to be pushed to the limits so they grow. Those, those of you that lift know, when you're, when, you're, when you're lifting weights, you have to break the muscle down so it rebuilds itself bigger, better, stronger. Talk about it in James, it says, count it all joy when you endure trials because trials produce perseverance and perseverance produces faith. 
right? So sometimes God allows us to go through difficult times in our life. That's the good kind of discipline, the positive kind of discipline to make us stronger in our faith. And that's what some of those Hebrews were going through. So why should we submit to God's discipline? First, there's a reason for it. Secondly, because life doesn't make sense without it. And the final thing, and this is where it ties in the I Doubt It series, is because we can have assurance that we're saved. You may think, that's weird. <laughs> My life is terrible and that's how I should know that I'm saved. Look at what it says in verse seven. It says, it's for discipline you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there that a father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, you're illegitimate children and not sons. You know the greatest thing in the world? Being a dad, it's going to the mall without my kid and there's some kid that's just being a brat and acting up and you know what? I don't have to deal with it. Not my circus, not my monkey. It's great. Um, but what kind of father doesn't take care of their child? Not a good dad. When we were getting ready to have Addison, I'd never had a kid before. I didn't know anything. All I knew is I gotta make sure that car seat's in there good. So I put that car seat in our car and I, I thought, well, I need to test this thing out. So I got April's crock pot and I strapped it, into the, uh, strapped it into the car seat and I started going out back roads on Route 10 as fast as I could and you know, you know, drifting around the corners. I'd slam on my brakes to make sure the crock pot survived because I thought, well, if a crock pot survives, the baby will survive. I was just trying to be a good dad. It's probably a little misguided. But Good dads protect their kids. Good dads discipline their kids. And the fact that God is sending things into your life to get your attention and to, 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 to bring your mind back to the fact that you're, you're, you're struggling with sin and you're straying from God and you need to get right with God is because he's a good dad. And that should make us not doubt our salvation, but it should make us run back to God as our father. So don't forget, God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. We don't have much time, so if you're a note taker, limber up. We're gonna write down six H words real quick. Here's first H word, heed. Heed God's discipline. Revelation 3.19 says, God disciplines those he loves, so be zealous and repent. Some of you, you just need to say, God, I screwed it up. I'm sorry, I wanna live for you. The next one is hold on to Jesus. Verse, tw verse two of the, the chapter we're in, verse 12, it says, Look to looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Turn your eyes back to Jesus. Remember, we're not saved by holding on to Jesus. Owen and I demonstrated that last week uh, in, in last week's lesson. We're not saved by holding on to Jesus, but life's a lot more enjoyable and has a lot more joy when we're holding on to Jesus too. The next one is find healing. That's the next H word, find healing. Remember that athletic terms, you know, the nude Greek guys running? Well, it picks it back up in verse 12. It says, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, make straight the path of your feet that you may be lame and not be put out of joint, but rather that you may be healed. Find healing in the arms of God. You struggle with sin, Everybody struggles with it, but you don't have to. When you run to God, you can find healing from that sin that you just keep falling back into. The next one, I like this one, hit God's gym daily. You know that, that, that word in, uh, um, in, in, in verse 11, it says um, that discipline yields the, pe I love this, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's the Greek word gymnasio. Sound like something, right? It's a word that we, ha we use for gym. Also appears in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, when it says, all scriptures God breathed and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training, hitting the gym in righteousness. So if we wanna hit God's gym daily, what do we need, where do we need to be? This is God, well, church too. This is God's gym. 
You'll only be in your Christian life what you do with this book. <clears throat> the fifth one, I like this one, hunt the right critters. Some of you will get that one, some of you won't. You hunters, every time you go hunting for deer, you see turkey and squirrel. When you go hunting for turkey, you see squirrel and deer. And when you go hunting for squirrel, you see turkey and deer. Which is what always happens. You're always hunting the wrong critters. Look at verse 14. There's some critters to hunt, some things to strive for. It says, strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness, which with no one can see God, and, 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 and see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Pursue the right things again. Peace, holiness. Then the final one, hot spots. Watch out for the hot spots. We don't have time to get into all these, but 15 through 17 list some hot spots. Some areas that, are, that can plunge us into sin really quick. The first one has to do with our belief, the way that we believe about God. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. The next is the way that we deal with other people. Let no root of bitterness develop. <clears throat> you know, bitterness doesn't, you don't just wake up bitter one day. It just kind of seeps in. It's kind of like, it kind of like when wood gets wet and it starts rotting, it's slow. But then contrast that one with the final one. It says, <clears throat> see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. Sexual immorality bites fast, right? It's something that pops up on a phone. It, it, it's, it's a time you find yourself alone with this person that you're attracted to. It, 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 it bites fast. It happens fast. So we need to be careful that we don't let sin creep into our life and we need to be careful we don't put ourselves in a place where we can be taken over by sin. So, <clears throat> as we bring this to a close, I think I've said it every way possible. God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. If you have strayed from God, if you're not living for God, God is putting things in your life to get your attention. The question is, what'll you do with it? So let's pray and we'll get out of here. Um, Father, thank you for this evening. God, this is a hard one. This is a difficult one because it has to do with the, what you correcting us and you disciplining us. But God, thank you that you are a good dad, a good father, and that you don't, you don't let us stay the way we are. You don't let us um, stay with unconfessed sin in our lives, but you reach out to us. You correct us and your arms are open to restore us when we come back to you. Thank you that even when we struggle with sin, we don't have to be con <clears throat> concerned that we have lost our salvation or can lose our salvation because we know our salvation was settled the moment we believed in you. Um, God, I pray that you'll go with us as we leave, um, that we will see and submit to that discipline that you bring into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.